Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, November 14th, 2019. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How are you, Courtney? It is halfway through November, and I am freaking out. Oh, that's true. I wasn't freaking out. I wasn't freaking out yet, but now I kind of am. (laughs) Thanks for that. You're welcome. Why are you freaking out? I thought I would be farther along with several projects at this point in November. Where are you at? What's on the needles? On the needles, we steeped the descent cardigan. (laughs) So exciting. So this is my descent cardigan by Andrea Rangel. The main yarn is Magpie Fibers Domestic Worsted in Velvet Underground, which is this beautiful dark purple. And then the contrast lacy bits are Bin Cycle Yarns Dream State in Verba Volant, which does this kind of gradient barber pole crazy beautifulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished knitting it last time, and then I did do the steaking, which is where you cut it up the middle and make it change it from a pullover into a cardigan, which is like a button-up sweater. Right. And it requires... A friend with a sewing machine. Oh, it yeah, and scissors. <laughs> and scissors. Which is nerve-wracking. Luckily, I have someone <laughs> in my life who has both. That would be you. It was not as straightforward as I thought. Um, the part? instructions were really good, but the the stitching up the on either side of the... Those stitches? Yep. So you, when you're knitting the sweater, you add five extra stitches in the middle, or this is how yeah. the instructions were for this particular sweater. Those are your steek stitches. And one thing that I did, um, I think the Knit More Girls suggested this. That's another podcast. Make that center stitch a purl stitch so it's easier to see where you're going to cut. Because if you have just five knit stitches, it's a little tricky to want to figure out where you're supposed to do the cutting. So anyway, so I did that. So then you sew. On a sewing machine. On a sewing machine. You can, there's other ways to do it, but <clears throat> this seemed the simplest way since <laughs> I didn't have to do it. <laughs> I had to just get Courtney to do it. So actual sewing, two rows of stitches on either side, or two columns, I guess. Right. It was like... Um, of the center stitch. It was like the double line in, in street traffic, you know, like oh, yeah. on either side of that. And it was helpful to have the purl stitches down the middle delineating where you were going to cut so that I knew that my that I was sewing really straight right. because the instruction said to sew on top of that knit stitch. And it was, I noticed that at least on my machine, it kind of kept rolling to one side or the other. And right. so it was good to have the purl stitch down the middle. Yeah. And it was interesting because as I was looking for instructions for the second part of the process after you'd done the cutting, which we'll get to in a minute. A lot of them said you could sew in between. You didn't have to sew on top of the stitches. Yeah. And the sewing, the point of the sewing is to hold the yarn in place after you cut it until you go back and and pick up the other stitches so that it doesn't start all unraveling. And it worked great. Well, we did have that wee little swatch to yes. test <laughs> out. Monica knitted the smallest swatch imaginable. It was like the size of a matchbook. Well, I didn't have a lot of yarn <laughs> left over and I wanted to make sure I had enough for my button bands. 
And I was thinking, oh, well, we're just going to cut it. I don't need a lot of room. And then I right. kind of forgot about the whole moving it through the sewing machine right. part of the process. So you managed to not sew your fingers, which well Always done. good. Yeah. All of that. So then, so we got it all sewn and then came time to cut. And Courtney grabbed the scissors yeah, I... <laughs> and was totally going to cut my sweater. <laughs> I had to stop her. I was just on autopilot. No, it was good. I'm sure you would have done a fantastic job, but you're right. We needed the photo op of you. (laughs) That's true. Plus, it was my sweater. I wanted to actually cut it. Yeah, and that part was really easy, and the stitches stayed where they were supposed to because of the awesome sewing job. Yeah, and then you've since picked up the button band. And then I picked up the button band. That was the part that I found a little tricky. I mean, it wasn't hard. I just wasn't sure how I was supposed to pick it up. Usually, when I pick up stitches, which is I do them um, like on a sock or maybe a hat, something along the edge of a project where you're going in and creating new stitches. And the, But this was sort of in the middle of the fabric, so I wasn't, and it's basically the same thing except that you're going through the fabric. Because the edge that we cut gets slightly folded under, right? right? So and you, then you're picking up yeah, yes, so you, mid-fabric, I yeah, see. Yeah, so you pick up, so there's those two leftover, there's the stitches, the row of stitches with the, the sewing on it mm-hmm. and there's another I guess another row of stitches that don't have anything and then there's the pattern part of the sweater right and in between the steak stitches which are those two the extra stitches and your pattern stitches that's where you pick up so you kind of go in the fabric make your you know loop your yarn around and pull it back through and keep doing it and then keep knitting from there and it holds everything in place and I still need to go back and I want to get some grow grain ribbon and cover steak stitches because they're not they're fine now they won't go anywhere um, because of all the sewing but they're just not terribly pretty Mm -hmm. and then it's always I like to kind of reinforce where I'm going to sew my buttons with some grow green ribbon as well but I have to find that and I have to find buttons and I just haven't gotten around to that yet well but I did try it on and it it oh good (laughs) so but it definitely needs buttons so that it will it will close you could do snaps too or no well, I have buttonholes. Okay. I made buttonholes, so yeah. But yeah, it worked really well. Scissors were great. Sewing was great. Getting the button bands done was fine. And it was slightly easier than often when you're doing a button band, you have to pick up all the way around and then do a collar and then do the other side. And this was just, you'd already done oh, the collar as part of the knitting when you started. So this was really just up and back. Up and back. So it was pretty straightforward once you got going. I mean, it's, you know, worsted yarn, so went pretty quickly. For you. Yeah, well, <laughs> relatively speaking. So yeah, so I'm almost there. Very excited. Good. And uh, yeah, so now I feel pretty good about steaking in general and can make more uh, colorwork cardigans. Not right now, but eventually <laughs> I can get back to it. And then I've also been working, I'm, I'm about halfway through the bind off on my first impression shawl by Brenda Castillo. The yarn is Serendipity King's Mountain Sock in Camille, so it's the blues and the greens. Very impressionist looking. Um, yeah, so I did the ruffled edge, and now it's just, you know, a bajillion stitches to bind off. And I've been working on that, but then I had stuff last night and did not get finished, but very, very soon. And then blocking. Exciting. It is, and now I have another finished project. And I'm uh, still working on my Rye Light socks and, you know, my Peppermint mm-hmm. Bark color, the Christmas socks. I have, I'm working on the Gusset Decreases. For the first sock, so that one's going along pretty quickly. Are um, you are you knitting them in tandem or just one? No, one at a time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never quite figured out how to knit them 
in tandem or even two at a time. But I don't really get second sock syndrome. So right. I can knit them one at a time and it's not really an issue. Um, which means I'm finishing up all this stuff. So I had to I had to start thinking about new projects. So I have wound yarn for my next sweater, which is gonna be the Elton Cardigan by Hohi Locatelli. And I got the yarn for this at Vogue Knitting Live in last September. So September 2018. And I think I talked about it because I was, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful burgundy color. Um, so I was thinking I wanted to knit it for the holidays last year, which didn't happen. But now I feel like, sure, I can knit a cardigan in two, three weeks and have it ready for December. For you or as a gift? Oh, for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you doing any Christmas knitting? Well, that was the other thing I was going <laughs> to This is the time of year when I decide, yes, I really do want to knit Christmas presents for everybody. So we'll see how that goes. I generally have to dial back my expectations unless I want to be driving myself crazy, which I don't. Um, But I did have a request. My brother-in-law and my nephew are going to Germany after the holidays. Um, So my sister said he needs a hat. So that one will have to get done. Um, But then also my family, we're going to Canada after after Christmas. And I don't... I think my husband has a nice warm hat, but the boys don't have hats. So I feel like they need warm hats. And hats are pretty quick. So I'm surely I can do three or four, you know, bonus hat for me. Why not? (laughs) Then I'm thinking other people will need presents. So there's lots of thoughts going around. And yeah, so we'll see how that all works out. It's admirable. I mean, none of it has happened yet. Well, I love, love handmade Christmas gifts. So I I think it's very... Yeah, so we'll see. Oh, and then there's a scarf knit along, Advent scarf knit along that I wanted to to do possibly, but that one probably won't happen. I'm trying to... Yeah, we have to... It's November 14th. Well, I mean, that one is... She releases about a 12-row pattern every day for for, the first 24 days of December. Yeah. Then you have a nice... her idea is that it's about an hour of knitting, so you take some time for yourself, have a cup of tea, do some knitting, then on Christmas Eve you will find yourself done, done with it and have a beautiful <laughs> scarf. And I've, I did it for a couple of years. It's a thematic. So last year was Japanese stitch patterns, one year was cables, and this year is Gansey stitches. What are Gansey so, stitches? They're like the fisherman sweater kind of oh, really? pattern things. Oh, I that's think so cool. that's what, I mean, that's what I think of. Gansy knitting is. I haven't fully investigated, but I thought then, you know, ask me on December 24th and I will tell you for okay. sure if I do it, but we'll see. Yeah. So I think that's all the knitting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lots of finishing this time. What's on the easel? Well, it's smack middle of Guashvember. Yes. And that is going strong. I've been seeing lots of pretty things coming by my Instagram feed. Yeah, I hope people take a minute to pop their heads into the Guashvember 2019 feed because that's where the group is posting and there's great pieces in there. I'm I'm just I love this little group of guashers. It's awesome. <laughs> and I'm finding myself Is there a name for a group of guashers? Like a murder of crows? Guash guashlings? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to think about that. Um I think we're just artists. Okay. There needs to be a name for the collective, though. We'll have to think about that. Yeah, we will. The chapbook is 
is meant to be my my main course right now. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, yesterday I had a moment where like all of the nagging that I bestow upon my teenager, I am internalizing and giving it to, giving myself, you know, those same challenges to just focus and buckle down and <laughs> do what needs doing. And I kind of have a two-week deadline. I'm hoping to finish the chapbook by the end of November and maybe saying it out loud here and cringing before you, uh, maybe it'll really happen. I have solid time over the next few days and next week. And so I might have to pass on a gouache member prompt in order to really mm. just stay in my stay on my in my lane and do these. I'm trying new little things. Like one of the things that I I talked last time about how I engineered sort of the story to fit how many pages it was gonna fall on. Right which is like working within limitations. And one of the other limitations with the illustrations is that my scanner bed is medium sized. It it can't do big giant sheets. And so I've cut down my big pads of watercolor paper so that they fit perfectly in the scanner bed. And that way there's no fiddling around with it. Like I know those are gonna fit in there. And then I'm painting like a two page spread and knowing that there's going to be the gutter or for the spine, you know, and how to meld those two on their pages so that there's, I don't know, just little things like that that I normally don't think about when I'm painting. And then, of course, trying to make it as charming and interesting and meaningful as possible. I don't know. I, It's a big project. Why did I do this? <laughs> I say I love it every year, and then I get to this point where I'm like, what was I thinking? I'm a little bit there today, but I'm going to go home and and keep at it. Now you've got it out. I've got it out of my system. You can go be awesome and charming. (laughs) As you normally are. So, yeah, a lot of painting right now, which is good. Um, And then I have a few Christmas commissions things that people have ordered for Christmas that I need to paint also in you know in the very near future which is a little bit exciting it's always hard to paint for I I really love when somebody's like oh that typewriter is awesome I'll take it that's easy because then it's done but if somebody has their heart set on a certain vision and then making that happen mm -hmm, it's a little nerve-wracking but I think I have, I don't know, four Christmas commissions, oh, wow. so I will be able to share those after the holidays. But I took a sewing field trip Ooh. over to Berkeley. I took two friends, and we went to Stone Mountain and Daughter, oh, yeah. which is a beautiful fabric store over in Berkeley. And it is not huge, but it is very well curated and their fabric it's mostly sustainably sourced apparel type fabric it's not a lot of upholstery or quilting um there's quilting cottons Mm -hmm. but it's not like big bolts of oh something of upholstery fabric or like when we go to fabric discounters or something like that it's 
I mean, they have beautiful velvets and things like that, but it's not meant to upholster a chair. It's meant to make some really great velvet t-shirt or something Ooh. like that. Yeah. I could have walked out of there with thousands and thousands of <laughs> yards of amazing fabric. And I was very restrained. And I only bought, I think, five pieces to make that the book cloth spines for my sketchbooks. I really only needed like one or two, but you know, I had driven all the way over to Berkeley. But really, it was good to look through what they had for fabric. And I fell in love with like, I think three different types of fabric that now I know I want to put those on my body. You know, Mm -hmm. I want that to be a jacket. I want that to be a dress of some sort. And I really want pants in that green or whatever so now I'm looking for the pattern to go with the fabric which is a different way of doing it but I think I'll be very targeted when I go back and buy exactly the fabric that I need for the projects that I want to do Um, I really love the overall feel of this place and they have a great online store too in fact they had a cutting table for the in-shop purchasers and then they had another separate cutting table where they were cutting for their online orders oh that's nice and I just thought it was such a beautiful system and every fabric in there was so gorgeous I would love to drag you over there sometime for a field trip sure yeah do they have buttons they do have buttons yeah I've heard good things about that store yeah really excellent it was a little smaller than I was thinking but in some ways, that was better because everything in there was so great. Nice. Yeah. So now that you know which fabrics do you want, once you pick your patterns, do you need to go back? I mean, not that you wouldn't want to, but you could just I think I home. will. I am so tactile when it comes mm. to that stuff. And there's definitely, I know one specific problem that I have is my eyes see color, like however, it. I, this is true for everyone, but... When I'm looking at a screen, I am not certain that that's quite right. Oh, for sure. And so I have this fabric that I want to make. It's like a double-sided brocade, and it's really soft, and I want to make a jacket. Mm. It doesn't need to be lined because it's double-sided, but the cuffs and the edge, like the, the trim pieces, need to be made out of like a really nice jersey or um, ribbing jersey. Okay. And I didn't take a sample of it when I went over to the shop. And so I definitely need to see those oh, things okay. side by side. I couldn't order it online. Right. And I've tried, I did look to see if I could do that. I don't trust myself to, even to hold the fabric and look on a screen. I just, yeah, I really want to see it. No, it's really it hard to tell because everyone's computers are different and the yeah. photography is tough. And yeah. And I'm, really particular about certain things like that, which is the whole reason why I'm sewing at home. Yeah. The one thing that I did leave that store with, though, since I took a couple friends over there, and then one of my friends just redid her living room. Like She got a new sofa, and she put some plants in there, and mm-hmm. very casual remodel. And I mentioned, well, if you pick out a great fabric, I'll make you a couple throw pillows. And so she picked out four great fabrics. And so (laughs) now I have myself a throw pillow project, which is super fast. Zip, zip, zip. You know, four straightaway seams and a zipper. Yeah. 
I do have a, <laughs> a little work to do a, after A few this. things to do. Yeah. Cool. Well, you'll need to eat, keep up your energy, talk about on the table. Yeah, what you cooking? A disaster of a birthday dinner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, no, it actually ended up, it ended up fine. So my traditional birthday dinner is beef fondue. And I think I talked about this last year. Absolutely. Yeah. Delicious, you know, from my 70s childhood. The cooking of the beef went fine. You know, hot oil. And you dip do, in beef. You do these in your fondue pots, right? Yes. Which is so, brilliant. Well, what? How, where else would you cook fondue in? Well, beef fondue. I don't know. You say fondue. I think cheese. I don't there, know there that. There are many kinds of well, fondue. That's what I'm saying. It's oh. brilliant of you for having invented this. You're welcome. I didn't invent it. <laughs> the 70s invented it. Um, so anyway, so that part's fine. Beef, deep fried in oil. So the disaster part, they weren't disasters. It all worked out fine. So our traditional accompaniment to this is a baked rice with bacon and you cook it in beef broth. The recipe, it's a very 70s recipe, calls for a can of beef consomme, which I bought a box of beef broth. So I had to figure out how much is a can, how much liquid is in a can of beef consomme. So I went to my pantry, pulled out a can of something and said 14 ounces. Okay. That's for like tomatoes and beans and soups are generally about 10 ounces. Oh. And I also was making a recipe and a half. So I kind of probably had a full extra can of liquid in there and you had some water as well. So I put it into bake and it was supposed to be done and I pull it out and it is just soup. <laughs> so I had to pull, the, I pulled a bunch of the liquid out and put it back in and finished cooking it off. And it was still crunchy as well. So there was that. But so that worked, that ended up working out. But a little hiccup. And okay. it was not as flavorful, flavorful as right. it should have been. So lesson learned on that one. The other part of this is we make three different sauces, which is none of them are complicated. There's a curry sauce, a mustard sauce, and a bordelaise, which is mushroom and red wine. We've been making these since I was a child. This is what we have. Sometimes my mom likes to throw in some barbecue sauce on the side. I don't do that. Three sauces is plenty. So none of them are hard, but they're all pretty quick, and they're happening at the same time because you want to have nice hot sauce with your fondue. So it worked out that I enlisted my children to help because there's two of them and one of me. So it's kind of everybody gets a sauce and I'm supervising. And Simon was away, which he is was why away. it's this beef, yeah. beef laden evening. Yes. So it actually worked out. It was a bummer that he wasn't home for my birthday, but there was no way to make this meal remotely vegetarian. vegetarian. Yeah. There's bacon in the rice. There's yeah flour in the sauces. No, that's not true. I've done the, the sauces you can use cornstarch so that would have been okay deep fried tofu doesn't have no, the same but, well and it would be dipped in the same with the meat so it would be a little he'd well, have, you have, have several no i only have one. Oh, okay when i've done it with my family my mom has a pot she'll bring her fondue pot my sister will bring hers so okay. and we all have fondue plates which are the little divided plates with the the center part and then you have little spots like a cafeteria sauces. tray <laughs> yes but they're circular oh they're lovely <laughs> we're so fancy and all the different colored forks, so you, you know whose who's dipped thing is, oh. is whose. You each get a color, a set of colors. Anyway, so three sauces, three of us, and I'm supervising. And you would think, after making for this for, let's just say, more than 20 years, I would 
be able to manage this? No, you would be wrong. So the mustard sauce, that one actually turned out fine. That one involves onion dip mix and you soak it in milk and then you add... Like French onion soup mix or... No, like the Lipton oh, oh. onion soup, like ranch dressing kind of yeah, thing. The, yeah, the season pa- seasoning yes. packet. Yes, this is the 70s, don't forget. <laughs> From the 70s. Um, and then you add in sour cream and just kind of heat it all up. That one actually worked out very well and was delicious. The curry sauce, we either didn't add enough flour or didn't cook it long enough. It wasn't as thick as it was supposed to be. It was really thin. It tasted fine. Are all three sauces cooked? Yep. Oh, okay. That's why, so you've got to have three little pans on your stove and you're stirring and you've got to do the timing and figure out. Well, no wonder. Well, it's worked before. So the curry sauce tasted fine, was not thickened enough. So that was okay. The spectacular failure of the evening was the Bordelaise sauce. Outside of the rice? Which was worse? This one. (laughs) This, this was special. So you saute the mushrooms in a whole bunch of butter, and then you add cornstarch. Cornstarch? Yes, it was cornstarch. This one actually calls for cornstarch. And, you know, cook it a little bit, and then add some red wine and beef broth and simmer it for a bit. I'm reading my instructions. It says four teaspoons of cornstarch. I'm thinking, why did they say four teaspoons? Just That's just a quarter cup. Just say a quarter cup. Scoop a quarter cup. I'm like, wow, this seems like a lot of cornstarch. Dump it in the pan, <laughs> start stirring, add the liquid. I'm like, wow, this is really thick because four teaspoons is it's not that. a quarter cup. That would be four tablespoons. So, yeah. And so my big kid was looking at that going, that looks really weird. <laughs> so it turned this kind of pale gray with this little tinge of pink from the red wine. He's like, well, let's just start over, but I had used all the mushrooms. So I didn't have any more mushrooms for the mushroom sauce. Kind of a problem. So I ended up adding more beef broth and a little more red wine and then a little bit more, a little bit more because that was a lot of cornstarch. Quarter cup, let me tell you, is a lot of cornstarch. So it was not... So what is the moral of this story? Don't be an idiot. (laughs) Oh, too clever. That's my problem. So it turned out okay. Again, the flavor was not as intense right. and amazing, and it was more of a gravy and not a sauce, yeah. I would say. So overall, it was a delicious meal. It's still fried beef with sauces and bacon, rice. Like, how bad could it be? Right. It was delicious. And not a vegetable in sight? Well, no, we did have a Caesar salad for a little <laughs> okay. lightness. Okay. And then chocolate cake after. <laughs> That is a proper birthday dinner. It was very good. Good. So that was fun. Oh, my word. But yeah, it was just, I could not believe how how sad my cooking skills were that evening. <laughs> so yeah, but it was fun. The boys were super into helping and stirring and they were excited. I it, think, to might, it might rival the time that I did baking soda instead of baking powder in the the Uh, strawberry shortcake biscuits and the whole family (laughs) ate them it might rival that it might it might that wasn't that was pretty an epic on the table snafu that was pretty bad (laughs) but i did have some successes later 
Okay. I made the vinegar chicken. And? It was pretty delicious. Yes. It was. But I didn't have the olives because I oh, sort of... Then you didn't make the vinegar chicken. Well, but I served it with bok choy, so it had that nice... The olives, though, are oh. very mild and buttery. They do something to it. Mm. I know it's just right. the I'll sauce, have to do it but... again. No, I was a little sad. I thought I had the olives in the pantry. So I guess, again, failure. Not doing oh, well. I don't know if they come jarred. They must somewhere, but I usually get them from the olive bar. Oh, okay. I thought I saw a can of them. Hmm. Okay. Sure. I don't know. We'll have to investigate. So clearly I have to make it again. Yes. But then I had a lot of leftover chicken, or I knew I would have leftover chicken. So I made the chimichangas again this week in chimichanga renovation. <laughs> Um, Good. I'm mentally calling them, I have to say, board meeting burritos. Okay. Because this is the second time I've had a school board meeting and made them. Because and left them for the and boys. And left them for the boys, so it was great. So this one had the leftover chicken instead of turkey, and then I had a bunch of arugula for my produce box that hadn't gotten used. So I used that instead of the cabbage. And great. It's still great. Yeah. Which also think... hits my annual goals of, you know, prepping and pre-cooking and stuff so and these things are so great for tucking in mm -hmm. you know what's what you have left in your fridge yep. and yeah good I'm glad. good i was a little bit worried about the turmeric flavor but there's the salsa and the, oh, yeah. it was all fine totally. boys ate them they loved them they were super excited to see yeah. that they were on the menu again so yeah great so one success <laughs> Two, I mean, you did try the chicken. You just didn't have the right. right. One and a half. <laughs> and I was able, the, the beef got fried to perfection, so. Well, crowning achievement. Yep. All right, how about you? Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we made mashed potatoes for fit, like Sunday night family dinner. And we had so many left over because my Irish children are incredibly stubborn and they don't really like mashed potatoes. So the next night, I looked up a recipe for potato pancakes and kind of just threw them together. I didn't know if anybody would eat them. Well, sleeper hit, Ooh. and they devoured the potato pancakes. Pretty simple recipe. I think that the real key to that to the recipe is it calls for a lot of Parmesan cheese, yeah. which my kids love, and it change the dynamic of the well and you pan fry okay. potatoes and it's a different playing field so success there then i made oh well it's guashvember the um prompt was cake oh and so obviously you had to make a cake i had to make a cake but we're a cookie household oh that's true and so i thought i could have helped <laughs> next year okay um I thought I would make a coffee cake because my guys love a cinnamon coffee cake. So I found a recipe on the King Arthur site and it was it was a great recipe. It made a gigantic coffee cake though that we it just lingered for days and days because there's just so much coffee cake you should really eat in a day. Yeah. Oh, I did actually get to help. That yes, was what we had yes, you did. For the steaking. Yes. And um and oh, I was able better. to like, I cut a piece out of the center of it because I didn't want a end piece. It's basically a brown cube. Um, but I was trying to make it as pretty as possible and painted it on, a, on an old china plate. It was cute. 
But because I got the recipe off the King Arthur website, the next day when I went in to look up a chicken and dumpling recipe, that came right up again, Google being smarter than me. And I tried it, but it was really dense, the dumplings. And I don't know what I did wrong. Maybe it wasn't you. I don't know. So I'm still on the hunt for a dumpling recipe that is super light and airy. Have you checked America's Test Kitchen? Nope, but I will. Because they generally, that seems like something you would need to scientifically approach. I'm jotting it down. Some other successes, though, was that I revised my chicken chili recipe Mm -hmm. to incorporate, it already has navy beans in it or great northern beans. Mm -hmm. This time I added a cup of lentils. Oh. And... It made for a very satisfying meal. I did serve it with a little bit of roasted cauliflower and then also had a rice option that people could choose from or do a little bit of both. Yesterday morning, I made morning glory oatmeal. Doesn't that sound super cheerful? It does. So, which book is that? Is that from? That's in the Whole Grain Mornings by Megan Gordon. It is. Kind of like carrot cake oatmeal. Oh. It calls for steel-cut oats and shredded carrots and raisins and a lot of the carrot cake spices. Mm-hmm. I think what I'll do differently next time is maybe sh- uh, shredded carrots again, but saute them first and then add them to rolled oats instead of steel-cut oats. Okay. I don't know why. I think that that would be a little bit better texture and then golden raisins instead of the thompson's hmm. raisins i don't love the thompson's raisins okay i i don't know why That's i fun. think that the golden ones are better visually yes well, so the carrots and stuff uh-huh I think. but nobody wants this oatmeal except me nobody in my house likes carrot cake or I kind of have to agree with them on that. Yeah, but I'm really happy with it, and I was thrilled to have this this, again this morning because steel-cut oats reheat so beautifully, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why it calls for steel-cut oats. Maybe I'll rethink that. But that was a personal morning success. And then last night, I made spaghetti carbonara, Mm. which is a favorite of my younger son, and it's... We have like a 50% household this week. Lots of travel happening, away meets, that kind of thing. And so I made him spaghetti carbonara, and I made way too much. (laughs) And he ate way too much. And I I have a – it's a super simple New York Times recipe that you basically just stir it into a hot bowl. Yeah. And the pasta cooks the egg enough to make it. Creamy and edible and... Yeah. And carbonara is the one with the bacon and the... Bacon, egg, parmesan, salt and pepper. Yeah. I forgot to reserve a little bit of the pasta water, Mm. but we we did okay. And he has leftovers for tonight. I'm not sure the best way to reheat carbonara, but uh, we'll make do. Yeah. And then the other thing that I'm eating a lot of this season is popcorn. Oh. And I have one of those silicone poppers that can go in the microwave. 
you know, it, it like collapses on its own and then you can. Oh, so it's like a Jiffy Pop thing, but it is microwave. And, mm-hmm. and as the popcorn pops, the lid rises with it. It's really cute. Oh. And I thought other people would like to know about that. Yeah. Because you can cook it entirely without oil and then just add whatever you want. Right. Like a little bit of butter on top. And we've been making it with truffle salt. Oh. We actually stirred truffle sauce, our little souvenir from... Florence into the carbonara oh. and elevated the carbonara well, game. I yes. forgot to mention that part. So that's, that's what's on my table. That sounds delicious. What um, you reading? The nightstand. I've been reading many things, apparently. You've got a quite the list I there. I do, again. Craziness. Okay. All right, so let's get going. The Burning Chambers by Kate Moss. France in the 1500s. During their religious wars, this is historical fiction, Southern France. Oh, that's right. I talked about this one a little bit last time because I had two, two books taking place in Provençal or Provence in the uh, Middle Ages. So we have our heroine and her dad is a bookseller and France's religious wars are heating up. So the fa- her family is Catholic, but her dad as a bookseller is open to selling all kinds of books, which is starting to get him in trouble as... The government is cracking down on heretics and he's, you know, keeps saying I'm Catholic, but support freedom of the press. He's not actually saying that, but that's the general idea. She ends up meeting a Huguenot guy. So there's a lot of intrigue and romance. Um, At times it was a little bit too much intrigue. (laughs) Um, Some of it was kind of crazy. It seemed a little over the top. But overall, it was kind of interesting. Again, it's not a period of time that I'm super familiar with. You know, but it was a good good story. The plot kept moving forward. Different things going on. Um, the importance of reading. The one thing that was kind of annoying is it's the first book of a series. And she really makes no pretense about this. Oh. Um, so it starts off, there's like a prologue that takes place in the 1800s. Which is, and there's a woman and she's in South Africa and she's looking for something that will prove her birthright, but she's on the run from these other people. And then that stops and you go into the main story, which is kind of where it all begins. And that's the whole book. But you never hear anything more about the prologue person. I guess we'll get to that in book three. And there's a huge honking cliffhanger foreshadowing at the end of this book. Ooh. So Well, she's got another book on its heels, right? Yeah. So that was a little bit, I don't know, I found frustrating. I felt like she could have maybe just made it its own book. So we'll see if I get to the rest of the series. It was a fine book. That was kind of my theme, I think, for this this series of books. Is they were all fine. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the next one I read is Maybe in Another Life by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is kind of a... Oh, fun. she did the um, Daisy Jones in the Six. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. This is totally different. I mean, I haven't read Daisy Jones, but from what people have said, this is totally different. This is kind of a sliding doors book. So the story starts off, young woman, late 20s. She's been living all over the world, finally moving back to L.A. Her life is kind of a disaster. Um, So she's living with her best friend from high school and trying to get her life back together. They go to a party with uh, a bunch of people from that she used to know including her ex-boyfriend and there comes a point where he where her friend is going home and offers her a ride or she can stay at the bar with her ex 
the story splits from there into what happens when she makes each of the choices. So in one, she goes home with her friend. The other one, she goes out with the boyfriend. There's disaster in both stories. There's good things happening. And it was interesting. They both take her to very different places, similar but different. And things happen to her friends in similar but different ways. So it was cool. And in both of them, she ends up having a happy ending, Mm -hmm. as one might expect from this kind of book. But it was cute. I read her her other I've read Daisy Jones and the Six and I've also read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Huh. And I loved The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh, okay. I thought that was really a great book. I'm not I wasn't crazy about Daisy Jones. Right, I remember that. Interesting. I'll have yeah. to check out the husband's one. But yeah, doesn't Daisy Jones seems very different. Daisy Jones style. was yeah, the style is more like um, it feels like a, a giant interview, you know. Right. The near or the there's like a, a quiet narrator who's interviewing the members of this band. Right. And I don't know. I just yeah, I had a hard time with that. A little bit of a hard time with that book. Yeah. I think it will be a great movie, and I know somebody's planning on doing that. I think it'll be a better movie than a book. So, yeah. It just seems like a very different style style from this one, but I guess authors are free to do that as they do. Yeah, that's the idea. And then I read The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. This is the beginning of a series. Felt a little bit less like that. So, this one is kind of an alternate history. Dewey defeated Truman. And then a meteorite strikes just off the coast of Washington, D.C., destroying that city and much of the eastern seaboard. So, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Tough opening. And the resulting climate changes are basically an extinction event like that which killed off the dinosaurs. So the world has to come together to get man into space ASAP because the Earth goes through a cooling period and then just... The temperatures will start rising. And there's kind of a funny, one funny scene where they're explaining the graph. Mm-hmm. And the, the political guys are all like, that's crazy. Like, the earth gets a little warmer. It's a degree higher. That's no big deal. And she's like, no, but it's going to keep going up. And they're like, well, what happens at that point? She's like, that's where the oceans boil. And everyone's like, oh, okay. So it's a little bit of commentary on what's going on now because the yeah. politicians don't get it. The scientists all understand that two degrees of temperature is a huge big deal. Our main character is a woman who was in the Air Force during World War II, so she knows how to fly. She's amazing at math. She went to Stanford when she was 14. Her husband is not the head of NASA, but he's a rocket scientist. He's one of the engineers, totally supports her. The new president was the Secretary of Agriculture, who just happened not to be in D.C. at the time when it blew up. What is that called? The Designated survivor. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly like that. Everyone's <laughs> like, Secretary of Agriculture, except that he actually understands what two degrees of temperature difference right. does to crop growing. Right. The story from there is all the science, building the rockets, getting people into space, getting women involved in space, because it's the 50s with the little housewife theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really an interesting book in a lot of ways, a lot of things going on. And then I guess they're going to have more books about when they actually get into space. So that one was kind of kind of fun. Looking forward to the next one on that. And then I took a little breather, read The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory, which is romance. So lovely. 
Our heroine is the chief of staff for the mayor of Berkeley. Um, she's a black woman. She is going to visit her sister in San Francisco, who is in town on business and just found out that she was made partner in her law firm. So they're going to celebrate. And she gets stuck in the elevator at the Fairmont with a cute guy who turns out to be a doctor in L.A., pediatrician. And he is in town for a wedding. He's going to be a groomsman. It's a little awkward, though, because he has dated the bride in the past and dumped her. And he also recently dumped his current girlfriend, or I guess previous current girlfriend, so he doesn't mm -hmm. have a plus one at this wedding. So they had a lovely chat while they're stuck in the elevator, and he sort of spur of the moment invites her to be his date. Like, you know, we're having a good talk, come hang out, eat some food. And she ends up the, agreeing. The meat cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she ends up agreeing because she, you know, doesn't have anything else going on for the weekend. Is and... she blowing off her sister? No, no, no. So she goes up. Okay. Yeah, it's not immediate. Like, this is Thursday night that they get stuck in the elevator. There's the rehearsal dinner on Friday, the wedding on Saturday. So she and her sister go celebrate her promotion. Of course, it goes really well, but he lives in L.A., and she's in San Francisco, or Berkeley. Um, so it was really cute. It was a nice modern romance. There weren't any big dramas or family secrets or, you know, big things keeping them apart, just their own issues and, Lo and logistics and logistics. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that they live in two different cities Yeah, and you know, the interracial part of it is an issue, not between them, but just with other people, you know, it starts off as kind of a fake date. And so they don't of course talk to each other about what they're starting to feel and they're both sort of denying what they're feeling. And so it was just very sweet. And then it all worked out of course, because it's a romance. So it was lovely. And then I finished listening to The Witch's Daughter by Paula Braxton, which you recommended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. Did you know this is also a series? There's a book too? Oh, no. Yeah. There's That's a book great too. news. But you had, a, you had a, a gripe. I did have a gripe. It felt a little... So this is the story of a woman who is a witch, and she has been alive since 1627, and it's taking place now-ish. It starts off... She's reminiscing about her past life and starts off with when she became a witch when she was, you know, in the 1600s. During the plague, right? Uh, yeah, there was, yeah, there and was that's a plague how her and mother kind of saved her from the yes. plague. Yeah. Well, but then also, and then also she meets up with a warlock and fully comes into her powers, but then she escapes from him. And then you skip like 200 years of history and you don't find out what she was up to or how she learned more about her powers because she wasn't with the warlock for that long. Right. So now, little, I felt like I was missing out on some key issues. I, I guess for me, I would have liked it to be more about her. And it ended up being just this battle between her and him, which I sort of found okay. less, less interesting. Um, but I loved the reader. I <laughs> loved the reader too. And that, that might be why that I stuck with it. But now that you say that it's a series, perhaps I think it might just that's be leaving books. room to go into more depth for the next one. It didn't look like it. Oh, okay. I read the summary, but <laughs> okay. So, but maybe actually, well, I, I thought guess it was really the... listenable. Yeah, definitely. It was a easy to listen to, interesting, well read. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm currently reading *City of Brass* by S.A. Chakraborty, which is full-on fantasy. Pretty much. Oh, I guess it still takes place in this world. But Middle Eastern genies or jinns, I guess. Um, so Lost Princess, Secret City in Afghanistan. Ooh. That's cool. About what time period? 
Um, it's in the eight, ooh, it might be early 1800s because uh, Napoleon. It starts off in Cairo and there's the Ottomans and the French are still fighting over Egypt, but then she gets taken off on a magic carpet because she's the lost princess. Of and course the bad, she is. bad guys are after her. Of course they and are. And she accidentally calls a genie who rescues her. And it's much less cheesy than than it than that sounds. Okay. In the Disney version, right, it's the, the guy is the there's the actual princess and then there's the guy who calls the genie and has to save the princess. This the there is a prince. I'm assuming at some point they'll get together. So but, she she doesn't need a broker for this. She's doing it on her own, is what you're saying? Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. She's gonna save herself. With her genie. Actually, she's really into the genie, so I don't know who she's going to choose because the prince guy is kind of a jerk. Okay. So far. We'll see. But I'm really enjoying it. It's just totally different than yeah than most of what I, I read. How about you? I have three great books. Wow. Yeah. Like full on great. Cool. So the first one is called Secrets of the Lighthouse by Santa Montefiore. This is one that I accessed on audiobook, and it takes place in present-day Connemara in Ireland. It is, it's kind of a romance, Ooh. I think. Is there a happy ending? Yes. Okay. Then can is that? That is part, that is that's one the of the criteria? Different... Yep. Oh, okay. Maybe I need more of those in my yes. life. I loved listening to this. If it is officially a romance, there will be a happy ending. Doesn't matter how they get there, but there will be a happy ending. That is what you are guaranteed. If there is not a happy ending, it is not a romance. Okay. Thank you for that stellar definition. (laughs) Okay. So then this is kind of romantical and it is wonderfully read by a reader who can do both the British and the Irish accent, at least to my ear. I have no preference. I'll take (laughs) it all. And our... Main character, Ellen, uh, leaves England and she is just, she's like in her early 30s and she's escaping. She's been engaged to be married. They're getting married in like five months or something. And her overbearing mother was originally from Ireland. And so she thinks that she's going to meet her long lost aunt. And she knows that there's an aunt there because the aunt sends a Christmas card every year, but they've never met. And so she goes to this town in Connemara and meets the aunt. And the aunt shares that there's like four brothers and like all of these cousins in this whole family that she's never knew about. And so she gets to, she says she's there to write a novel but she quickly just finds that it's so much more fascinating to meet her family and to get a sense of this town. And she falls in love with Ireland and the ruined castles and just the local lore. And there's a little bit of a of a haunting atmosphere in one of the castles and idea of a presence, you know, mm-hmm. who's sort of watching. And that was handled so beautifully. So I just really appreciate how the author handled that. I I don't want to spoil any of it. I want you to read it or listen to it because it was so good. So that was The Secrets of the Lighthouse. How did you find that one? I don't know. Okay. A lot of times I just make sure that it has 
four stars and that it's available now. <laughs> it's just, and then I'll give it a little try. And if I like the first five minutes, I'll borrow it. Nice. Because I'm not buying these. I'm doing it through the library. Yeah. Oh, so and I, I usually have listened to a sample. Yeah. That's right. That's so that's how I'm stumbling oh, cool. on these. No, that's fun. Next up is Washington Black by Essie Adijan. A lot of people are reading this book right now. I actually bought a copy, and I never buy copies of books. I don't know why I bought it. I just did, and I haven't read it yet, so I'm excited to hear about it. This book is extraordinary. It starts off in 1830s Barbados. I'm going to be really careful to not give too, too much away. Our main character is Wash, or Washington Black is his name, but he goes by Wash, and he lives on a sugar plantation and he's enslaved and it is really brutal his existence there essie she goes into some detail on the treatment of the slaves at this plantation and it's obviously it's hard to read but it lifts off a little bit from there you can never really escape it in this book but one of the bro the brother or one of the brothers of the plantation owner comes to Barbados and he is kind of the dreamer of the family and he is really committed to the idea of a hot air balloon and they don't call it that they call it like a cloud cutter or something like that and he, he his name is Christopher but he goes by Titch and they set off on these experiments to get this hot air balloon off the ground. And I did a little research and historically this is about right. Hot air balloons didn't like the modern hot air balloon didn't really the technology wasn't quite right until like the 1940s I think 1930s. Okay. But they were playing around with versions of this for meant for hundreds of years. Okay. So it does fit into the timeline of that. So something happens and the two of them have to leave Barbados and they set off and have this sort of epic journey kind of all over the Atlantic corridor or on either side of the Atlantic. Oh, so it's a big journey and it's a story that is a lot about family and choice and who gets to choose and... There's so many pieces to it, and I don't want to... It's really hard to let go of the slavery narrative in this because... And you don't, you don't want to in some ways, but it's so difficult. And you also don't want there to be some great white savior. And this character, Titch, is not that person. He is flawed and sort of a product of his time, even though he is somewhat open-minded about everything. And the relationship that these two build is, is really worthwhile. And it takes a lot of unexpected turns. Hmm. And I think in the end, while it is a narrative about an emancipated slave, it's also just this human journey. And I thought it was really great cool really great book i will have to read that and then lastly i read the giver of stars which is by jojo Moyes. 
And she, what else has she written? She has done a lot of the ones like um, Me Before You. Actually, that's the only one of hers. But there's After You and Still Me. I think those are all related. I'm not quite sure. Seems likely. I, don't, yeah. I haven't read any of them. But I picked this one up because it was about the pack horse librarians in Kentucky oh, right. at the end of the Depression era. Okay. And I love a bookish book, and this squarely falls into that. Right. This is during the time when Eleanor Roosevelt had set up the, is it WPA, the W, or the work, is that right? Um, She had set up, they had set up a program to help fund library, library um, services in communities and get libraries off the ground and help literacy. And so this community is so rural that the only way that they can set up a library system is to take the books to the people in their remote hill cabins and and circulate the books around on these pack horses. Enter Alice. Alice is an immigrant from England and she's married what she thinks is going to be this romantic rich guy from Kentucky and that doesn't pan out as she had anticipated. And she teams up with Marjorie, who is like a late 30s-something, super independent, Kentucky, she's a tough girl. And they build this packhorse library system and encounter a lot of pushback because they're women and because people see the books as disruptive. You know, they have this secret one about marriage and biology Uh and that is very taboo and they're also coming up against mining in their town and what that's doing to their the health of the townspeople and the men who work in the mines and there's a lot of moving parts but my biggest accolade for the book is that these are strong women characters who make decisions for themselves and advocate for themselves and it is refreshing to see even though they're really struggling and they have challenges that they're fighting for what they believe is right and they're great female characters cool so superb read great writing i was just so happy and it has a happy ending there we go should i say that yeah i'm saying that <laughs> because me I was getting nervous at one point, mm-hmm. and I looked to the end to see if... <laughs> Make sure it'd be okay. Uh-huh. I just didn't know that I wanted to commit to a sad ending at 11 o'clock at night. Oh. I needed to know. Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Fair enough. Great. Three great books. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Nice. I started watching The Dublin Murders, which is based on the Tana yeah, French. Tana French. Yeah, except that they didn't do all the episodes at once. It's coming out once a week. So I watched the first one. I was like, all right, let's watch episode two. Where's episode two? It's not on there. Very upsetting. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to. It's like to a regular TV show. I scrambled to finish a painting the other night because I thought The Crown was starting up again last oh, week. Oh, yeah, not yet. But now I get to look forward to it this Sunday. Yeah. But it's uh, episode one. That's good. I haven't read the books yet. I have the 
in the woods, which I think this is oh, based on. Oh, the, the Dublin murders? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, on hold, but I think everybody has had the same idea, so I'm waiting. <laughs> I was like, oh, TV show, I should read the books. Yeah. I like Tana French. Yeah, so the episode one is good, and I look forward to reading the book. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for now. I um, think so. We may have a gift uh, preview next time. We did that last year, a little, you know, shopping guide for your holiday needs. Gift ideas. Gift yeah. ideas next time. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to see what I'll come up with. <laughs> if you're in the... I feel like popcorn popper is a good one. Popcorn popper is a great gift. And so is truffle salt. Yep. Oh, combo there. <laughs> nice. That could be a good, like, not housewarming, but if you go to a party, that'd be something different. Host, a host gift? That's yeah. What that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Right. Well, until then, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.